0: so when was your last checkup oh no not you although that's important too but when was your last vehicle checkup when it comes to service nobody knows your chevy better than your local chevy dealer go to chevydrivechicago.com to schedule an appointment today
1: when people's lives are at stake when the fate of the world and the fate of the united states and of israel are at stake The last thing you want to do is entertain dilettantes. I don't really entertain dilettantes. I don't like it. I don't like the, I don't think just because you have a mouth, you have an opinion, that means I have to listen to it. We are in serious times and I demand that we speak to serious people. And one of those serious people is Nicholas Cass, my brother, who spent years and years thinking three decades serving the United States. He's a pro's pro, executive director now for the International Corporate Affairs for the Alexandrian Group. Before that, he was deputy assistant secretary of state Bureau of Conflict and Stabilization Operations. Before that, he was director of European affairs for the White House. He was a senior... political advisor for the US Department of State. He served as the Director of Intelligence Programs for the National Security Council and and was Director of European Affairs for the uh, White House. He worked on legislative affairs in the Congress, so he understands what the Congress, how the Congress is motivated. These are just some of the things that he's done, but right now in private practice, he is again, I tell you, Executive Director for International Corporate Affairs for the Alexandrian Group. He lives in Bucharest, Romania. And he is also a Senior Fellow for European Affairs at the Center for the National Interests in Washington. My brother Nick Cass joins us on the Chicago Way, along with Jeff Carlin, my good friend, partner, and co-host here on the Chicago Way executive producer at WGN Radio. And me, I'm John Cass, husband, father, Greek Orthodox Christian. Former Chicagoan, now glad to have moved out away from the Bolshevik nonsense that is consuming the city I love. Even though there are pinheads screaming at me from a distance, I tell them Green Acres is a place to be. Farm living is the life for me. So where are you? As all this is going on, as the left devours itself, as the conservatives fight amongst themselves in Congress, trying to pick a new speaker? In the darkness and fog of war, we're on certain times, and that's why we need professionals and serious people. You're on the Chicago way. On WGN. Plus So, this is a guy who lives high on the hog,
2: and he has this Tammany Hall style attitude to power. And um, it is, it's the Chicago Way. Absolutely. So the, the Chicago Way is a deep cultural phenomenon.
0: It's the Chicago Way.
2: The Chicago Way. That's the focus.
0: In a tower by the river, there lived a man. There was a man who took a stand With pen and paper in his hand Defeating foes in every ward With a pen more mighty than the sword No escape from his ink lasso In a tower by the river Castle Here's how you get him. He pulls a knife, you pull a gun, he sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. That's the Chicago way. So, Nick.
1: Nicholas Cass.
0: Hi, John. Hi, Jeff. How are you guys today? Hey, Nick. Yeah.
1: How do we make sense of all that's going on, Nick?
0: Well, I mean, I think we're at a, a very, very dangerous moment uh, for the United States. And that's the first. Um, focus that I would have was for the United States, obviously for Israel, for our ally, uh, but also for the region and ultimately for the United States. Um, That's the main thing. What happened, yeah, what happened uh, last weekend, on October 7th, I believe it was, was an unspeakable horror, uh, this uh, unspeakable terrorist attack uh, by Hamas against innocent civilians. And uh, um, it's just, again, another sad, uh expression of the depths to which uh human depravity can go and uh it is now incumbent upon the israeli government under any uh leadership uh to respond forcefully uh against hamas um and uh to uh deal a blow a, a crushing blow you know people call this uh or many people were calling this the uh israel's 911 and um, that's probably a fair way to characterize it. But if it is, I would only say that we should have those experiences of 9-11 and particularly the post-9-11 environment in mind as we consider what's uh, coming next because uh, we definitely do not want to uh, duplicate those uh, same mistakes that we have already kind of made again in another place. So, uh, but I think we really, really need to watch it and, and to learn from our experiences and to learn from the past and to not go down the same road and make the same mistakes that we did back then. But
1: I don't want to, and I, I don't want to hear Nick. And I, maybe you, you and I disagree here, but I, I, I don't know. I don't want to hear any kind of mitigating sentiments toward Hamas, given the fact that they're backed by Iran and uh iran wants all of us dead i just don't i don't i don't i can't see that as my future you know i can't accept
0: that right well and you shouldn't and that's uh obviously I mean, that's not what i'm yes, talking okay. about you know i mean it's it's there's no question that you know to uh, politics is an art and politicians have to connect as human beings uh to the people that they lead it's an essential element of leadership um and uh, under those circumstances, of course, one would try to appeal and um, reflect and empathize and share the anger, the frustration, the fears that the people have. And this is part of the almost me- mystical connection that a political leader, even in the most rational state, uh, would have with um, uh, with his uh, uh, citizens, with his supporters, his voters, and even the opposition so there's no question about that and that makes absolute sense and so therefore um you know people's concerns and and fears are completely justified but if you are a practitioner if you are thinking about this as one must and i guarantee you that in almost in very very many places right now people are thinking about this really really hard understanding of course uh, the emotions that people feel but also having to put everything into the proper context in order to help inform wise decision-making because there's no substitute for it. And if we don't proceed wisely, we're going to do potentially make uh damage, greater damage to ourselves and to our ally and everything else. So we have to be proceed with great caution. And as you've guys have heard me say many times, I think the, in foreign policy in particular, but in any other aspect of life, the beginning of wisdom is to actually understand uh, the situation on the ground, the events that you are studying, the phenomena that you are studying. You have to have a really good grasp of that in order to perceive wisely, whether that's in Ukraine, whether that's in Iraq, whether that's in Turkey, whether that's in Kurdistan, Washington, All right, You have to know what's going but on. I see, and so I, it, see, yeah, I go ahead. see the,
1: I see the faces of spoiled American children screaming, demanding attention, calling on Israel to withdraw, calling on Israel to drop its guard. And I ask you, and I ask Jeff, and I ask everyone out there, we're asleep, and have the Hamas murder raids been the wake-up call for biden's woke america that's the question i asked readers in sunday's column my sunday's column in john Cass news are hamas murder raids the wake-up call for biden's woke america
2: nick and jeff you know it's funny john i i think it's the wake-up call to the older generations to how you know, devoid of actual reality the younger generations are I mean I had a conversation and you know you and I just talked last week John about my dad and I hate to keep going back to him as kind of a foil but he he and I sat in the car for twenty minutes on the phone and he just can't wrap his head around what he's seeing he just he just can't he's like i don't I don't know I see these kids I see you know people who are you know, quote progressives and they're cause my dad considered himself you know, progressive in in, in, a, in a sense. Um he can't he can't believe it. He doesn't know what he's seeing, how people are so on the wrong side in his opinion of what's happening, and, and you know, muscle my opinion. And we sat there just I just couldn't explain it away that how we got here. And I still can't. I mean I, I I think I underestimated the idea of trying to be the most sympathetic if that's a thing you know that's kind of always been my feeling that uh, they undercut all the liberal stuff is like who can be sympathetic with someone else the most that's the olympics it's all, they play. it's all about our feelings now right right and so i've you know i can get behind that because i get you want to be good to be everybody you know be good to your neighbor but now they're missing the reality of the situation and i i can't i can't square that and i don't know how i don't know how to nick
0: well um, yeah, in my view, I mean it's it's a very it's a illuminating moment uh, for American uh, po- politics, American political culture. there's no question about it and um, um, you know I would I would say that what we are seeing here are the fruits of a sort of neo-marxist analysis being uh, brought to bear on a variety of different issues. And so people are thinking according to the pre-chosen categories of this ideological, um, uh, sort of, um, prism. And, uh, what I found interesting about that in particular was the Black Lives Matter Chicago apparently using yeah. the hang glider guy right. as a symbol for, um, Palestinian, Palestinian resistance writ large. So the left has, seems like it has an interest in not conflating, uh, the Palestinian issue mm-hmm. with, uh, Hamas and the revolutionary appeal of Hamas because they are uh, inculcated in this idea of of revolution and it's it's ironic that a uh, you know sort of people who probably don't even, may not even realize that they're being sort of um uh trained or have been trained in this kind of analysis this sort of secularist marxist analysis are now on the side of a group like Hamas but it's it's a phenomenon that you see in other areas of the Middle East as well, and uh, if we're on the subject of domestic politics, let me just delve into this briefly Please. before we return to the Israel question as well. Um, you know, in northern Syria, we are fighting uh, ISIS yes. with uh, what? Presumably, with, who? with well, yes, with our our principal avatar of in Syria fighting ISIS in northern Syria is uh, the Kurdistan Workers' Party, which is a right. Marxist-Leninist terrorist organization that seeks to destabilize the region for its own power interests, and they will use any tactic, and they will use any uh, sleight of hand in order to get there. And you have to consider, okay, a couple things in this respect. One, these guys uh, have always looked at traditional people as obstacles and enemies that need to be overwhelmed, okay? Okay such that right now they are using the legitimacy that has come from this relationship and the sort of their presence in the autonomous region of of northern Syria that's being kind of set up uh to leverage against uh other kurds not only in the region whom they are trying to crush but also uh in uh, the Kurdistan region of Iraq where I assure you the leadership is extremely concerned about uh the PKK and its various elements uh trying to make inroads into that area as well um it's a very very destabilizing thing because it also threatens to uh bring in turkey uh Turkey which sees the p k k as its greatest regional threat and um and the problems that that causes for regional stability, particularly for the United states i mean many people in the United States when we talk about the Kurdish issue, we talk about uh we don't mention the p k k as the factor, but it's hard to imagine um a case that has Cause more damage to the uh, U.S. Uh, Turkey relationship because most Turks, uh, plausibly enough, will see support for the PKK, uh, this Marxist terrorist group, as a, strate- a sign of strategic hostility well, to Ankara.
1: They're they're Marxists and they're they're also subject to, I mean, these wild, wacky, progressive notions of uh, sexuality and imposed sexuality and fighting the patriarchy well, I'll, I'll, and and all that.
0: I just read a I just read a paper not long ago. I can't remember. I'll pull it up if I if I can. But it was about how northern Syria under the PKK rule might be an example of diversity and inclusion. <laughs> so we're applying <laughs> Sorry, these... it don't mean to laugh, but it's just so pathetic. No, it's yeah. true, but we're applying these these things. Now, here's the other thing that is isn't remarked, but it again it becomes a self-licking ice cream cone in this way. Oh boy. If you're if you're a, if you're a um, normal Kurd or Arab in in the area, and you see uh, a Marxist uh, group uh, coming to power over you with the support of the United States, mm-hmm. what is the likelihood that that actually encourages people toward more? radicalism by whomever can supply the mechanism
1: 100 yeah. if i if i see rainbow if i'm a if i'm a muslim and i you know we're trying to look we're trying to protect israel we're trying to protect the future of the world okay yeah
0: right and
1: uh we can either we get there are, we can murder how many billions of muslims i guess you want to murder them right. all, or i'd rather not i'd rather live peacefully so would they yeah but you can't live you can't expect them to swallow rainbow flags and so forth.
0: And just their the the physical power and presence and their command of all the sort of resources and everything else that comes with that power where they where other people are excluded. That's what we're setting up. We're setting up an image of the United States as um uh you know it's its face in the region is a Marxist face and I'll say you know, having been to some of these conferences on religious freedom in the United States, where some of these guys go and they try to propagandize people into thinking that they're open-minded and tolerant, I will tell you, I will tell you that actually indigenous Christian people in that area are extremely worried about the PKK because they know the PKK has tried to repress them previously and only backed up, backed off uh, temporarily under pressure. But nobody has any illusions as to the mentality of a group like that okay so on the one hand we want to fight isis on the other hand uh we want to fight against hamas the instruments and the way in which we go about it has an extraordinarily important impact and we cannot simply ignore that right we have to actually understand these things as we proceed now in the case with Hamas, I think uh, we have to return to a couple of other factors on the ground that have to be understood as we think about what's coming next. One, it was clear that there was a massive intelligence failure, a massive intelligence failure, which is somewhat surprising given the reputation that the Israeli services have for competence, right? And it may have been a, an intelligence failure outside of that region, shall we say, We don't know. It may also have been a failure not only of intelligence, but of policy. And here's an interesting indication of this. Uh, Michael McCall, the uh, head of the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, a Republican, in uh, the House of Representatives. Yeah, Yeah. he oversees intelligence, the intelligence community from that position. He was on Fox, and I think he spoke uh, publicly about this, definitely spoke publicly, saying, that they were briefed that the Israelis or that the Egyptians had warned Israel that something quote unquote like this would happen. Now, I don't know what the providence of that is, but think about it. You have an establishmentarian, yeah. you have an establishment politician like Mike McCall, not some, not uh, Gates or anybody else, not a radical, basically saying that Netanyahu blew it. So what do you think the implication of that is? What does that reflect? And I, I would say, that that reflects that there's um uh, i'd say bipartisan concern about the leadership of Netanyahu in um uh, in uh, Israel because they don't think that he is uh the guy who can do this job right now that's one thing all right the other thing is that in foreign policy uh discussions in the united states in the west generally but particularly in the united states we have a tendency to discuss these issues maybe for brevity for simplicity i don't know but we discuss these issues as if a country is an object of uniform density it is a piece of um, a, a pawn or a rook or a bishop or an ally or whatever mm-hmm. that can be manipulated or is moved on a chessboard so by some grand master that doesn't exist you know we if anybody you know we do not have that kind of strategic uh, ability given the nature of our system which is it's sort of a very interesting thing but we can get back to it because again the implications here are also domestic for us, right? But in Israel, and people should know this, that in Israel there is a vigorous debate. There's a lot of debate before uh, this event. There's a lot of debate now. And uh, one of the first things I read uh, in Israel was a uh, an editorial by uh, Gideon Levy in uh, Haaretz where he castigated uh, Netanyahu as a failure for allowing this to happen, for not seeing it, and also for his general approach on uh, palestinian issues and you've seen other journalists echo this so in israel again this is not my view but in israel you see differences of opinion now everybody is rallying of course behind uh uh the government right uh as it tries to confront this particular heinous crime and horror perpetrated by More Hamas. Right. But but one can imagine a situation not too far in the future where there will be hell to pay uh, because of the failure of leadership in Israel. And this will have extraordinary implications, right? So, the challenge that Israel faces, and this is why, again, you have to know these things because the situation is complex. The long-term survival and prosperity of of um, Israel depends not only on what it can do to defeat and counter and prevent and deter terrorist attacks, which it must do, but it also is on the strategic level, its ability to create a rapprochement with uh, countries in the Gulf in particular, including potentially Saudi Arabia and non-Arab Turkey, which, uh, are seeking to like sort of are exploring the idea we're exploring the idea of better ties. And we had the Abraham Accords under president Trump. There was some movement potentially on the, on the uh, Saudi front um, and with Turkey as well. I mean, Turkey and, and Israel have had a very, very tough relationship um, over the last 10, 15 years, particularly because of, of the Palestinian issue. Uh, but there had been signs in Turkey about wanting to, you know, sort of repair relations and normalize relations. And that had at least formally been accomplished. So the challenge for Israel is to be able to whack Hamas without doing damage to its own strategic interests, the ones that will guarantee its long-term security and stability. And that is a great challenge. And I don't know whether the current leadership is up to that. And again, uh, the the problem, if you look at uh, the intelligence failure in Israel, how did they not know? How did they not know not only that Hamas was going to attack? How did they not know that Hamas had become such a sophisticated enemy, right? So the intelligence failure potentially is is even deeper. So, that, so now the question I have, at least, and I've spoken about this publicly, but how much confidence does one have that these are the people that uh, are clever enough or smart enough or wise enough to be able to do this operation in a way that doesn't hurt Israel's interests? And I don't know. We have a, you know, we have a politician who may eventually be under siege politically. It's not, it would not be the first place in history where people have, um, tried to, um, you know, uh, put on a strong front in an effort to kind of unify the people behind them. This is, these kind of things happen in times of war and Israel is at war and they must, they must strike back hard against Hamas. But all of these are questions that will, Determine what happens next, what the next steps are, because it's quite possible that as we go down the road, we can see this war metastasizing into a wider regional conflict. You know, Which there's brings, that um, and brings then,
1: me to another question of yeah. uh, the policy related yeah. question. Our listeners should know that Nicholas Cass, my brother, Nick, my younger brother, has briefed Presidents and members of Congress, senior senior White House and other officials and other world officials in his tenure as uh, in the intelligence community and in the foreign service. But one thing I don't think Nick has ever done, and that is to be part of a group that is antithetical to uh, the interests of the United States or can be at least interpreted as such but there is yeah i speak with complete confidence in that regard and i would bet my life for it but there's something that's going on in terms in terms of policy that concerns me because ultimately hamas is a creature of iran and iran is uh determined to wipe israel off the map and there's a a u.s envoy Rob Malley, who is now being investigated by the federal authority here in uh, Washington for compromising classical uh, classified information with respect to Iran and and pro-Iranian groups it is Malley it is Malley who is the um, architect of was was architect of Obama's failed or or faltering, Iran nuclear deal, and it is it is Malley who, after that was learned, and he had to leave because he became too hot. He worked for George Soros for a while until Biden picked him back up. Now I have to know, Nick. I know that you don't. You have to be careful of what you say and and how you approach it. But how are we to? Uh, you know civilians expected to uh, analyze this stuff that that comes to us how do how do we look
0: at it well this is this is a really hard one and i think um it's made more difficult by the experiences of the last seven years frankly yeah. so um this is a so what the ability for for uh non-interested or dissent or non-interested or shall we say, neutral people or people who are just trying to learn about this, uh, the ability for them to understand this, uh, whether they're experts or not, is very difficult because the question is, what's this all about in terms of what the machinery of the state is doing? So I don't know. That's I mean, I, I have no reason to uh, doubt the seriousness of the charges or anything like that. All I would say is, in this kind of a case, or in the case of Senator Menendez, which is also um you know all over the place and people are talking about egypt in that <laughs> yeah. case and there are others i'm sure that you have mm-hmm. to actually let the process go out and i just only hope that whoever's doing this investigation does a better job and is actually do- does a fairer job and a more uh realistic job than the people who were railroading uh people uh from uh to- after the 2016 election starting with the president of the united states so yeah I, I have some real uh, concerns about that. But in terms of the bro- in terms of the broader implications, here's where this becomes difficult when you're thinking about it uh, in terms of strategy. Because strategy is not just the it's, it's the art of trying to mat- match ends and means. You have resources and you have objectives. How are you going to get there? What are you going to do? What do you expect is going to come down? What do you anticipate will be, uh, the potential second, third, fourth order effects coming from this? It's not simply doing something. So when I hear people like Lindsey Graham or Nikki Haley or others talking about, Mm -hmm. you know, attacking Iran, it's almost as if they've, like, these aren't the same people that were saying the same things about Iraq. We, we have to be very, careful. very careful and very clear. We've been down this road. Everybody remembers the famous briefing, right? Uh, Colin Powell gave Oh, there right?
1: were method- weapons of mass destruction. Let's go to war.
0: Yeah, right. Yes, and all these other things, and all these other things that we have to be careful about, frankly. I'm just saying this as a citizen. So we have to be very careful. We have to make sure that that what is known is known to a uh, sufficiently secure uh, and uh, a higher degree of confidence than perhaps we have right now. I think the, the administration publicly said they don't have anything on that. It may be the case because we all know that Hamas is being supported by Iran. So, one thing would be okay, determining what Ra- Iran did. Secondly, the question would be what do you do about it? And how do you do that in a way that doesn't backfire? Because it may be that, you know, Iranian uh, f- hard targets or facilities rather are easy targets. For the kinds of things that Lindsey Graham wants to do, there's probably no question about that. But you have to ask yourself: What are the second and third and fourth order effects? What are the implications for regional stability? What what will this mean for the world economy, particularly at a time where we're already facing another strategic debacle in Ukraine? We're, we've suffered through several big wars; we lost, right? There, we failed on our objectives at the very least, and that includes, probably, in my opinion. Uh, Ukraine, and so now we're about. People are already talking about embarking on some other conflict, at the same time that just two weeks ago we were talking about China. So what this shows you is that in the public debate, a lot of people are probably saying things just because they are trying to uh, manipulate you one way or the other. And
1: I, that's why I, I'm sorry, Nick. That's what my view. My view, and maybe it disagrees with anyone who's listening, and Jeff, and you, right. and maybe I disagree. But I hear Nikki Haley talk nonsense like Lindsey Graham about war, right. and I'm I'm like I strike her off the list. I mean, I strike anyone, and that includes the National Review, Fox News, right. everybody who's trying to carry her across the the line. So you I don't, know that that's happening. I see it happening, right. and I exactly. I promise myself that I would not be part of it again after after the President of the United States. Uh, convinced us that there were weapons of mass destruction, that Cheney had his, you know, tubes and nuclear tubes that we had to go to war about in Iraq, which was a disaster. I I promised I wouldn't do it
0: again. Uh, Right. So so you have to, so one has to think what, you know, Israel obviously has, and America by extension, because we support Israel and we're going to support them. They're a close ally. Uh, it's been a wonderful relationship, a very important relationship with the United States. So we're going to support them. Uh, and we're going to, the best way to support them is not only to help them crush Hamas, but also uh, to help them preserve their other strategic equities, which are necessary to ensure the health and safety and survival of uh, the state. So, uh, the implications here for Israel are really high. They're f- high for the United States, directly and indirectly. Right. Uh, you know, I, in terms of manipulation, you hear it on all sides. You see the, see the left obviously manipulating uh, Palestinian angst and the suffering of normal Palestinian people to promote, uh, you know, groups like Hamas, who they will only promote because they see them as a revolutionary organization. They want the chaos it that marches, revolution yeah. comes with. Right. And then you have others like neoconservatives, like... They um, want to sell weapons. Uh, yeah. Who, well, the neoconservatives actually came out of a Marxist milieu, as you know. Right. Uh, Trotskyist yeah. milieu back in the 60s and 70s. And, you know, the people who probably don't have the intellectual heft of neoconservatives, like... But who ad- adopt that like kind of... Online, like Lindsey Graham. Right. And Lindsey right. Graham, who are also trying to manipulate things. So, so you have this weird conflation of people. and And... I, I heard one that really I, I, I need to raise, but I heard the one uh, that surprised me from, you know, again, a conservative quarter, the Federalist Magazine, I, I which I read, and I, um, you know, I think they always often have very good yeah. analysis. But uh, it was an article by a guy I respect, and, and he came very, very close, yes. actually did call for like a re- religious war, I think, John Davidson, I think. And he called for what was essentially religious war. I think his focus was mostly on uh, the in, the inability of Christian and post-Christian, uh, America to coexist. And I think that that's, that's a very interesting provocative argument. Makes sense. But if you extrapolate that to regional politics and international politics, if you're setting up a clash between, uh, the Judeo-Christian world and, uh, the rest, then I assure you that the first people who are going to suffer are the actually existing Christians in the region. Not the first people to suffer, but they will suffer extremely heavily. And we've already seen, as a result of the previous uh, war in Iraq that that led to dislocation, that led to uh, the disaster in Syria and Iraq with the rise of ISIS, what happened to the Christian community there. And I'm in touch with a lot of Christian leaders in the area, and they're very, very concerned. They're very concerned. About what might come because under those circumstances, um, they will be sought out as fifth columnists and enemies. Mm-hmm. And we already saw what happened, uh, in the wake of 2001 where a, um, you know, the, uh, Christian communities in the Middle East oh. were decimated and destroyed in the consequence, as a consequence of this, uh, because people perhaps without knowing, uh, fail to perhaps understand or perceive or under you know or or to care about these communities that existed for two thousand years. I think years. they don't care. So that's just another right. way. Yeah, it could be they don't care. And and certainly if you see some of the way people talk about, you know, these abstract concepts like religious freedom, right. um which uh, are used to promote left and right ideas that have little root or or understand or um uh you know sort of are alien to cultures that are steeped in sort of religion as a unifying factor for communities. And you add to that what's happening with respect Mm. to, let's say the Orthodox world as a result of the Ukraine war, where the very, very serious um, ecclesiastical dispute between Constantinople and uh, Moscow in the context of war and in the context of uh, an America that is promoting uh, an ideology that is seen as alien not only to the Kurds of Syria and elsewhere, but also in Orthodox countries, right. uh, you see that there's a lot of tumult, um, and, um, tension and instability there. So that is just one of the many ways in which this could be, uh, could be, uh, affected. You have, mm-hmm. we didn't even talk about this, but Lebanese Hezbollah, who is also backed by Iran, could be activated. That could destroy What's left of uh, stability in in a country like Lebanon, depending on how uh, that thing unfolds. And it will be the fault of the Iranians. I mean, it's not like it's uh, someone else's fault necessarily, but we are responsible for what we do. And whether or whatever the challenge that faces you, you have to do something. Yes or no or what. And that is where your uh, agency comes in and so that's why we need to be really careful and clear about how this might metastasize in ways that could be very very bad for us bad for the region uh and a a boon to russia i mean russia doesn't have to do anything but watch us implode here and uh you know and let and let's not even think in this context about again two weeks ago we were talking about china and the need to shift from uh ukraine to china and that's what everybody was speculating was happening when uh uh national security right. council spokesman kirby uh talked about we're at the end of our rope in terms of funding ukraine that was a pretty clear indication that perhaps a u-turn is in the offing. Right. and yet now here we are and uh it's a potential i mean it's a potential disaster i don't see anything good coming out of this frankly um except maybe uh the crushing of hamas which would be good uh but again depending on how you do that there could be a lot of Strategic uh, costs in closing, you know, because Jeff always wants to get. <laughs> no,
2: to no, actually, I, I, because I, I, I wanted to bring it back to the, the discussion you at the top, Nick, where you kind of you mentioned that you know, post nine eleven, there were a lot of mistakes made on in that yeah. path, and how, and, and just to highlight some of that, I mean, you, you kind of spoke to it in the idea that we were led down to a, a wars, wars, uh, that with less than positive in outcomes, Fingers, yeah. yeah, that led us there. Where does it, I mean, where? what mistakes do you see down the path now for us as Americans on the domestic front, but how those implications will impact the, the international scale?
0: Well, whatever happens in America doesn't stay there, you know, it, right. it emanates out. And we have a lot of things to sort out. And I think that uh, one of the, again, the sort of clarifying uh, aspects of this extraordinarily horrific issue was the way in which this is playing uh in american politics and how this might uh clarify um the uh the problem uh that has been uh percolating along in a variety of different ways not just in foreign policy but uh in the west generally in terms of uh marxism and in terms of their efforts to control uh, and uh could, not marxism forgive me but this sort of neo Marxist analysis, but the woke, or however we want to describe it, which is hell-bent uh, on controlling discourse, for example, in the United States and in other countries. Now, <clears throat> we're supposed to be fighting a war in Ukraine uh, for the preservation of the liberal order, right? But if we start departing from the liberal order uh, on either direction, whether it's in the, the direction of the pro-woke or on the other side whatever the implication is whatever the the wisdom in a particular case of doing something in that along those lines whatever that is you are departing from what was understood to be the liberal order when it comes to free speech for example which is one of the core principles of the american way and the western way but of course in europe it's a much more um you know state centric and sort of elite um conditioned yeah. uh, atmosphere. But in the United States, in particular, where this is where we're exceptional, actually, in the extent of which we, we are free. But if you start to adopt this, these kind of mechanisms of control, what you're admitting, or what you're saying, is that there are things that are more important uh, than these traditional values, right? And so you're breaking faith with uh, the liberal order. Now, guys like Patrick Deneen and philosophers, other philosophers, have talked about this being baked into the cake, one of the contradictions of the enlightenment you know the absolute the devolution of society toward absolute individualism and the individual will uh leads to a breakdown in all sort of legitimate authority and uh you know it just becomes a real mess i, I don't want to um do too much damage to his thesis here <laughs> but I, I recommend everyone read the book but the point is whether you like liberalism or not whether, and small L liberalism, the kind of liberalism that gave birth to the United States. Whether you like it or not, whether you, you blame it for the evils of the world or not, what's coming next is a consequence of the way in which we respond to these challenges, whether it's in Ukraine, whether it's to quote unquote Russian disinformation in the United States or elsewhere, whether it's, uh, debate, you know, social media, policing social media to make people safe. All of these will have consequences for The survival of that particular way of understanding the world, that liberal understanding of the world, and what comes next? Do people know? Do people have an idea what will come come out of this when we start to depart so dramatically? I suspect it's going to be uh, a situation whereas where some people will say, "Oh, I get power, I will protect my friends and crush you," and the other person will say the same thing. Now that may be where we're going, but we're seeing that kind of thing played out and. Whenever it's played out in the national security realm, of course, the House always wins. The House always wins, you know, yeah. regardless of what happens. You've seen the growth of it over time. This current conflict will not uh, scale that back. That will actually be a means by which um, the restrainers will be overcome, potentially. So I think the implications here are extraordinarily profound uh, for our society uh, as well as for our uh, ability to ex- uh, exert positive change in the world. In, in layman's terms, you're talking
2: Patriot Act stuff, right? <laughs> I mean, like the idea that we expand, you know, we the the state of security and surveillance is going to only increase as people get right. more it's worried about, quote-unquote, security. <laughs> is that I mean, and that's, a, but
0: uh, all sorts of weird pushback, I mean. I, well, I mean, you're seeing it now in terms of American politics where people are identifying, you know, where ever since the, and we talked about this last time, but ever since President Biden made that horrific speech uh, with all the right. red backdrop right, and all right, that sort right of thing, they're identifying red half wedding. the country as, yeah, he's had, identifying half the country as enemies. And now you're seeing there was some reporting in the press about FBI looking at MAGA, whatever mm-hmm. the hell that means, uh, as potential enemies. I mean,
1: I thought they were arresting, I thought they wanted to arrest people who wanted to uh, celebrate the Latin Mass. <laughs> It's, well, you know, they've lost their minds. Okay, Nick, they've lost their minds.
0: They, the, the state, any state, and this is not a comment specifically about the United States, but any state is only too happy to uh, have the power to affect what it believes are the sort of proper way of doing things. And again, it doesn't take cackling evil people, it could be very good, it could be very nice people. What is it? Uh, Hannah Arendt talked about the banality of evil right yeah so that can happen as as a result of our inattentiveness to how these issues relate and so i would say that in in conditions of war particularly region wide war where we already have another huge war in uh in europe which is potentially threatening uh already you can see some uh, uh fissures in europe happening um You know, adding adding the Middle East to that, without so much as a real deep consideration of what happens the day after you one attacks Iran, okay, will will not be a good thing for anybody. So we have to. Unfortunately, it's unpalatable. It's an unpalatable situation. But you have to think. There's no other option. You can't check your brain out. You can't check your mind out. You can't say these people are wrong or this person is right. you can uh, forgive me you can say that and you should say that but but it doesn't change the reality of a person's uh perception and how they're going to act and so you have to understand that in order to craft wise policy to address that and and respond to that it can't be a simplistic cartoon we've had too much of that
1: we cannot afford the things of a child i said this last week to charles lipson and uh by
0: the way that was, a Jeff, great, that was a great
1: podcast by the way. By the way, Leon Leon Cass wrote into the John Cass News. Yes. Uh, my yes. friend Leon, we've had him on yeah. we've had him on the podcast and uh he 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 wrote in so maybe it. we'll call him again. But Definitely. Nick, next time we have you, we've got I want to talk about what it's like for a young man to wake up at two o'clock in the morning in Virginia or D.C., Georgetown, from his Georgetown apartment, and head, o- head over on dark, wet streets to the White House to sit down with the senior leaders of CIA and the State Department and the White House and give briefings at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning and prepare.
0: You stop at Dunkin' Donuts first. <laughs> Get that yeah. sugar and caffeine. Get that man. sugar and caffeine going, yeah.
1: Uh, Uh, Nick, and also, uh, and then you have a brother, you know, if your brother asks you, what did you have for dinner? And you say, I'm not saying, because if I tell you I had pizza, pizza, you're going to think one thing, John. (laughs) And if I tell you I went to Salmon Harry's, you're going to think another.
0: Well, that's why, yeah, forgive me. That's why I try to sort of focus mostly on, uh, you know, the current state of play now that I'm retired of uh, government service uh and uh looking at the current state of play and, and moving forward, which I think is uh actually more useful. But again, you gotta know the context. That's the other thing. Doesn't matter if you like it or not. And there are appropriate times to bring things up and there are appropriate times not to. And I think one of the challenges and one of the unfortunate things about what's happening in the United States is the immediate and very revealing uh promotion of these quote unquote Hamas view. Uh, in various quarters. Ask Rob Malley. I'm just saying. Speaks just saying. volumes about the character yeah. of certain people. Yeah. And what we're confronting.
2: Nick, thanks for being here. Buddy. Yeah. Thanks, Welcome Nick. Always, always uh, enlightening. Glad to be here, guys. For Nicholas Cass, Executive Director
1: of International Corporate Affairs for the Alexandrian Group and Senior Fellow for European Affairs now for the Center for National Interest. For 30 years, Deputy Assistant Secretary of State and Director of European Affairs and a list as long as my arm from the State Department to the CIA. And for Jeff Carlin, Executive Producer at WGN Radio, Friend of Cat's, Baker of Pies. And for me, John Cass, Editor-in-Chief of JohnCassNews.com. The world is a strange and dangerous place as we know, and it's time for all of us to put away the things of children because we can't afford that, not in a dangerous world. Our job is to protect our country, our family, and the world. Join us again next time for another edition of the Chicago Way Podcast on WGN+.